I'm picturing that day when God finally winds up all of time, calls us all together, and we have that, I suppose, the, the introduction event to heaven, when all of those redeemed and all of the angels sing together to God, glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine what that will be like? Just the swell of that, the immensity of that, the amazing nature of that. God usually pictures for himself things in advance. And I, I have to wonder at when those angels burst forth in the sky and, and uh, singing praises to him, glory to God in the highest. I wonder if he wasn't picturing for himself that, that great event and the, uh, the orientation moment to heaven when we'll all be there let's open in prayer father we thank you so much for your amazing glory you are the great great god of the universe and we acknowledge your presence we thank you for your love for us we thank you for your amazing grace we thank you lord for your lavish love upon us we thank you for the lord jesus christ the king of heaven who came to be here that he might be the Lord of our lives and rescue us from our sinfulness, our estrangement from our Heavenly Father, restored to us, gave to us, offered to us the gift of salvation that we might have sins forgiven in a relationship with God that would last for eternity. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you today for salvation, for our eternal lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would richly bless our hearts today because you empower your word to make renovations of our soul. And I pray that might take place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the uh, time of year when um, people start asking you, what, so what do you want for Christmas? I have lots of things I want, if you would care to ask. Yeah, well, but the real question is, what do, what do we need? Really? And what do we need? And when we think about it, we think we don't need really much. I, in fact, when, when uh, the kids ask me, what do I want for Christmas, what do I need for Christmas, I'd say, I don't really need anything. Brahman said to me this year, do not, do not answer the question again this year, I just want you to be happy. Oh, but I did. I don't want to disappoint her. It's tradition. <laughs> but the real question I want to explore with you this morning is, um, what do we need? What do we really need? And we might need more than we think we need. In fact, we might need more than we know. I was um, Google searching uh, the, the top five uh, categories of gifts for this year for 2014 in case you haven't done your shopping already and you want to be trendy in the top five uh, here they are the first is surprise surprise video games the second is tablets uh, in fact um, a, a little known fact that uh, you might be interested in is that this year as of this year Christmas Day this year Mobile devices will, for the first time in all of human history, outnumber fixed devices or desktops or 
or laptops. Mobile devices on Christmas Day in the world will outnumber all, all the other uh, fixed devices. And uh, third on the list was uh, retro toys. Things like Barbie Dreamhouse, My Little Pony. Who would have thought My Little Pony would have made a comeback? So Google was right. And then there's warm clothes. Canada Goose Jackets. Good Canadian goose, a good Canadian company. And then uh, the fifth was wearable technology. Smart glasses, smart watches. You know those calorie calibrated wristbands? Yeah. Lynn, Lynn wants one of those for Christmas. I didn't even know what it was. Who would want such a thing? You can't eat O'Henry bars and have a wearable, tech, and wearable technology at the same time. In, in fact, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the product issues, as you, as you discover, are, are bent toward happiness and well-being products. People have discovered that, uh, that money maybe could buy products that could give you well-being or, or happiness. And, and really, when you think about it, the things that people want are really trying to satisfy what people need, but maybe aren't certain what that really is. People are really chasing after needs of heart, needs of the heart, needs of the inner person, without really understanding the dynamic of that. And they're looking in the wrong places. They're settling for the wrong things. In fact, the most tragic trend of Christmas is that people are missing the meaning and the value of it. Christmas is the wow factor of God. It, it's intended annually to get the attention of people to recognize that there is a great God and He loves people and He's done something spectacular for people. It's an eye-opener. It's to reveal the needs that people really have but miss. Even Mary and Joseph, although they knew what child this is, or was, missed the significance, certainly from the front end, of what he would do. In fact, uh, uh, Shane and Angela sang that great song this morning, Mary, did you know? Mary didn't know. There's no way Mary knew. Mary knew who Jesus was because the angels told her. But she had no idea the scope and magnitude of this, what this little child would bring to the world and, and how he would change history. So it's that that I want to give our attention to this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them, please, to Matthew chapter 1. I want to look at Matthew chapter 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 12. And I want to talk this morning about four needs that I find in that text that Christmas completely satisfy from this particular section of the Scripture. Four needs that Christmas completely satisfy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a sign, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time this star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God. I want you to notice, first of all, in the text that um, the angel told Joseph that the name that was to be given to the child was Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You need salvation because physical rescue isn't enough. Topping the uh, trending charts over the centuries, if we were to be able to do that, has always been the same. It's really been about removal of guilt. In fact, if you are studying some of the, the product trends, there is a marketing of, of guilt-free consuming. Uh, guilt-free consuming means you're purchasing um, sustainables and recyclables. And, and so the idea is that if you're purchasing, if you're if you're practicing the idolatry of consumption, it's fine so long as it's good for the environment. Removal of guilt has is, is, is been with us for centuries. Of course, life success is another. Physical and mental health always chop, char, tops the charts of concerns on people's lives. In fact, there's a new term called mycaiatry, which is related or addresses mental health issues and stress issues. 
Freedom from tyranny has, has constantly been the concern of human beings. And the sad reality is the attempts to achieve, um, uh, achieve these needs are really continually different forms of the same thing. Sacrifices to idols, superstitious worship, violent freedom fighting. Somehow the belief that in some material way that we can heal or fix the inner brokenness that we feel in our lives. If we can just have one more thing or feel physically better or become liberated politically, we will then feel better about ourselves. It's been the same for centuries. The simple reality is that through the ages, particularly in the context of the people of Israel, there was great expectations for a Messiah. Since the Babylonian captivity in particular in 500 BC, there was an increased desire that Messiah would come. And the Messiah, of course, that was looked for was a Messiah who would rescue them from tyranny. The Messiah that they were anticipating was completely different than the Messiah that they received. The, the need that they believed they had, which was to be rescued from political oppression, was to be met with a Messiah that was unlike anything they could have envisioned or imagined. No one imagined that Messiah would be God come in flesh. No one imagined that. This was a, a profoundly unexpected message that the angel gave to Joseph when he said that he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins and he will be called Emmanuel because he is God with us. No one imagined that this is the Messiah who would come. The real need, in other words, was worse than everyone thought. And, and that's the simple reality of the people who you know, the people who you work with, the, some of the people who might be in this room this morning. The great need of our life is worse than most of us think. And that's why the angel said, give him the name Jesus, because he will rescue people from their sins. You can't get free of guilt by consuming green products. Caring can't happen because you push the right app on your tablet. Mychiatry can only be addressed by therapy of the soul. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Romans that, that in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, that those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. The, the, greatest, um, the greatest need that tops the charts throughout the centuries, whether people know it or don't know it, but feel it, is this need to be in a right relationship with Creator God. Whether they're willing to acknowledge it or not, each human being is created in the image of God. And there is a restlessness in our souls until we acknowledge that the true, the true desire of our hearts is that we would be in a relationship with the God who created us. And, so, and the, the obstacle, the boundary, the barrier between us and a relationship with Creator God is our sins. 
are, are turning from God, are turning to idols, uh, the breaking of God's law. And so when this announcement came to Joseph that you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, this was the greatest announcement to humanity of all time, that someone would come and make it possible for humans to have a right relationship with Creator God. This was the great need. This is the great need of humanity. No one realized that the Messiah mission was to rescue hearts from the spiritual prison of death row, that the wages of sin is death. But this Jesus, this Jesus Christ came to rescue souls and liberate them from the slave market of sin. God demonstrated his love for us in this by planning Messiah's arrival and his life among us and his death while we were still sinners. They were expecting a political jailbreak. That's all they were looking for, whether it was rescue from Babylon or rescue from Persia or rescue from the tyranny of Greece or rescue from the tyranny of Rome. They were looking for a Messiah who would simply rescue them from their political oppression and they received a Messiah who made their hearts right with the living God in heaven. That's the great need of humanity. You and I need salvation because physical rescue isn't enough. But I find something else in the text as I move through it. There are a huge emphasis on things that can bring us happiness and well-being as I explained. But how do you salve the soul? What can you buy? What can you purchase that can truly, truly change who you are? That's the difference between Christianity and improvement plans. Improvement plans, human improvement plans are just moral resolutions. In fact, many of us on January 1st are probably going to make a New Year's resolution. And almost all of us intend to break it by January 2nd. I'll make a New Year's resolution to, to, to fast from O'Henry bars for the rest of my life. I'm going to break that thing on January 2nd. Because human improvement resolutions cannot change the basic orientation of a person. That's the difference between improvement plans and Christianity. When the, the announcement was made that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God with us, God, the very God of heaven being with us, but not only with us, as Jesus described in his own earthly ministry, this God would move into us and renovate our hearts renovate our souls. There would be inner transformation. The distinction between human and improvement plans and Christianity is this inner transformation, internal renovation, a rewiring of the soul, a complete overhaul of the hard drive of our lives. This was something spectacular. You need God with you because a religious idea won't take you where you need to be. This is not just chasing after grand ideals, Christmas radicalized the whole human purpose. Our culture and the people that we know and hang around with are satisfied with lofty ideas like guilt-free consuming and self-improvement and tips from personal tablets. I'll tell you what's trending in Christ's church today 
is far more spectacular. Listen to how uh, Matthew records uh, the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I'll tell you what's trending in Christian churches in Jesus' church today. He's calling hearts. He's calling hearts to follow him, to turn from idols, to turn from sinfulness, and turn to him for a complete renovation of soul, a complete renovation of life, and people are turning to Jesus Christ. That's the Christmas message. That's the spectacular nature of what Christ has come to offer. You need God with you because he's liberating souls from eternal damnation. And he's not just sending us on mission. He's promising to accompany us. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll be with you. I won't forsake you. God's going on mission with us. We're going on mission with him. It's the most extreme pursuit of relationship known. God with us. God committing himself to his people, and his people committing themselves to him. And unlike personal improvement ideas, you don't graduate away away to independence. But get better to the degree you depend more upon the master and the teacher. You never get so good at this that you don't need the teacher anymore. You don't need the master anymore. You you don't take on your own persona or your own self-improvement plan. But rather, success in in Christianity is to the degree that you take on the likeness of the master teacher himself. The closer you grow to him, the more dependent you become upon him. The more you become like God always intended you to be. To bring back what is marred and ruined by sin, the image of God, the likeness of Christ. That's what Christianity is about. There's no hunt for originality in Christianity. It's conforming to the original image of God through Christ Jesus. Christmas addresses the desperation of that need. And the truth of the matter is, everything in our world, every need that exists in our world, relates to the marred image of God relates to the need that people have to actually be conformed and transformed by the work of God in their lives, conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. Every single need, the need to fully recover the image of God drives all needs. Well, we need salvation. We need God with us, the text clearly portrays. But there are several other needs that I want to point out here this morning. Until that first Christmas, there were a number of scriptural predictions and claims and promises and prophecies that really seemed almost impossible to imagine. When we talk about Christmas being the wow factor, in so many ways, the the fulfillment of prophecies that are 
that are uh, presented to us in just this one little manger story are completely amazing. In fact, um, from the very front pages of the scriptures, right through to where we are, where we find ourselves in Matthew, there's this amazing uh, track record of promises and prophecies. Beginning back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, an impossible scenario, an impossible promise that was made to an infertile couple, couple who were childless, Abraham and Sarah. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. 1900 B.C. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then 500 years later, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 24, verse 17, 1400 B.C., there was this prophecy, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, Edom will be conquered. Edom is the tribe of Herod. 1400 B.C., a star will come out of Israel, or Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Jacob, Edom will be conquered. 400 years later, in 1000 B.C., the psalmist in Psalm 87, verse 4, writes this, I will record Rahab, which is another way of stating Egypt, and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. 800 B.C., 200 years later, Isaiah 60, verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. These were virtually impossible to imagine claims until a caravan of Babylonian stargazers set out for Jerusalem. And in the text, we have this incredible contrast of the Magi who came from the Babylonian Empire and made their way, God by grace grabbed their attention by a star that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago, grabbed their attention by grace and set them on a journey to search for Messiah, while those already in Jerusalem, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the King Herod, who knew the scriptures, who had the scriptures in their hands, were ignoring Messiah. And here you have this Babylonian caravan making their way to Jerusalem. The general revelation of the star brought them to Jerusalem. It was the specific revelation of God's word that brought them to Christ as they went and asked and inquired, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, I don't know if you've stopped for a few moments and considered the magnitude of this moment in terms of the value to our hearts, but this is the lavish and magnanimous grace of God to reach out to the pagan nations and include them in salvation. I can tell you that it doesn't get further away than being a Canadian from the original people after God's own heart in Israel. I mean, you can search from page to page in your Bible, you're never gonna hear about a Canadian. If there was ever a people far from God, if there was ever a people estranged from the covenant of truth, the, the redemption plan of God. It was Canadians. But because of the magnitude 
of God's immense grace. Not because we were searching for him. Not because there was anything good about us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The plan of God was to reach to our hearts. And this was, this caravan that came from Babylon was a harbinger of things to come as God would reach out through Jesus Christ to the nations. The promise to Abraham and Sarah, through you all nations will be blessed. And because of God's immense grace to us, we're included. Those who respond in faith to the invitation and the message that Christ Jesus brings. Listen, if you don't pay attention to God's word, he will find someone who will. You need to pay more attention and careful attention to God's word. Otherwise, you won't be ready for God's ways. Those who were already in Jerusalem were ignoring the ways and the word of God. If you don't praise him, he'll give the privilege away to rocks. There's a fine line, you know. A fine line drift between serving the purposes of God and making yourself the purpose. Here's the tragedy that was found in this text. When the Magi ventured here and asked, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? Herod, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they all expected Messiah. Every single one of them. Herod the king asked. He didn't say, he didn't ask, he didn't ask the chief priests, what, what are they talking about? What are they talking about, a Messiah, a king of the Jews? What are they talking about? He knew. They all knew. And here's the tragedy. They were so close. But they knew it academically. They knew it as information. And far too many people even now know about it in a festive sense. What happened here? Herod's plan was get rid of Messiah, kill Messiah. Why? Because Herod's own plans and his own purposes had taken prominence in his life. And if that's so, it will cause you to miss or even oppose God's plan. And if deeply enough embedded, it will cause you to object to God's word. The problem with Herod and the problem with many people who you perhaps know is their own plans and purposes have taken over priority in their lives. And nothing, no one, not God's word, nothing is allowed to take priority over those plans and purposes. Be very careful. Some of the people who are closest to, to the things of God allow their lives to become the focus and the purpose. And when your life, your life purpose and your life plans become prominent, you can get to the place where you choose to ignore God's word because it will unseat your plans and purposes. And you may find yourself even opposing God's word so that you can have your plans and your purposes. There is huge tragedy in that. Because if you oppose God's word, you will miss God's ways 
for you. There's a fourth that I notice here. When you're thinking about a Hallmark card picture, in this little scene in Bethlehem, the absurd vulnerability of the picture almost defies description. Can I say that fourthly, you and I need to rest in your present situation regardless of how vulnerable it is because God overshadows your future? You have here a baby, a little child, a carpenter who has migrated from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, doesn't know the lay of the land, doesn't know anything about being a father. You have a young woman who's brand new as a mother. They don't really have a place to live. And there's nothing, in, in any given scene of humanity, there's nothing more vulnerable than a baby, a human baby. Of all of God's creation, there really isn't anything more vulnerable or fragile than a human baby. Baby animals are far stronger than baby humans. The ultimate vulnerability is this picture, this scene, over against this wicked, powerful king, King Herod. The reason that all of Jerusalem was troubled when he was troubled is because he was a horrible individual, an evil, a wicked king. He'd already had a couple of his sons already assassinated and a wife. He had no problem with getting rid of anybody who he deemed was in his way. And so in terms of the contrast, I mean, I mean with a snap of a fingers, he could have a, a crack troop of executioners or secret service at his disposal. And now you have this ultimately vulnerable moment. And, and in the drama of all of this, we're left to wonder, is this baby going to survive? Is, is this a, alleged plan of God going to succeed over against this unbelievable force of evil that, that appears to be more powerful than this setting that God has put in place. Here's the truth about our lives. Here's the truth about this. Things may be far, in a far better state than they look in your life. Because in truth, because this was the purpose and plan of God, this little child, this little family, we're invincible. There, there was no possible way that the, all of the wickedness of all of the universe arrayed against this little venerable family could change the purposes and plan of God. So regardless of how challenging your situation looks, the truth is if you're walking in the plan and the purpose of God, you are living invincibly until God has completed his plan or his purpose for you. That's the message that comes through loud and clear here. Because the, the prophet Isaiah writes this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The government will be on his shoulders. 
this little baby was invincible, invincible because the prophet had declared who he was. So whose government was really in charge? Herod's or the government of this one whose all the governments were upon his shoulder and his government would have no end. So many times things may be in far better state than they look but sometimes things may be worse than you ever know. At the same time as all of this is taking place, what Joseph and Mary don't really know is that Herod is planning an execution of their baby. But God knows. God brings a caravan from Babylon loaded with gold and frankincense and myrrh to arrive. There's two things that Joseph and Mary weren't really aware of. They didn't know that the baby was in danger and they didn't know that they were going to need some cash. But God knew. Because God was going to ask them to flee to Egypt to escape from the assassination attempt upon Messiah. And God also knew that they were going to need supplies, provision, things to look after them. So sometimes our lives are worse than we know, than we can even see, but God knows. And sometimes God asks you to do something or go somewhere or don't do that or do this. And we're like, come on. It's like, you want me to go to Egypt? Wasn't it enough that we left Nazareth? Mary was pregnant. We had to make this trip to Bethlehem. We're here. It's inconvenient. Now we have to go to Egypt. Come on. Why us? Because what you don't know, Joseph and Mary, is that your life situation right now is far Worse than you think or than you know. And so um, God schedules for us in our lives provision, protection, things we're not even aware of. Either way, what we learn is this, that we are in his hands. Our life is in his hands. So we rest in that. So let me... Let me ask you this morning there's something in the Christmas story for everyone regardless of what our state is before God perhaps your situation seems grave to you well you need to know that from God's perspective your situation is in a better state than you know or maybe you think everything's fine it's highly possible that your situation is worse than you even know. But either way, God has you covered. God overshadows your life. You can rest in your vulnerable state because God overshadows your life with his purposes and his plan for you. You don't need to be afraid. We need to, all of us, pay more careful attention to the word of God. We, we, need to, we need to be people who recognize that God's ways come out of God's word. We need to recognize how vulnerable we are to, to being uh, uh, 
fixated on our own purposes and our own plans and, and possibly shutting out the Word of God. That's what makes it so important for us to, to come here and hear the Word of God and to gather in small group settings and, and share God's Word with each other and, and, and challenge each other to, to stay in the Word of God and stay in the ways of God. Don't shift or don't move towards your own purposes and plans at the expense of God's Word. There's an urgency to these realities in our hearts. These people who were so close to the word of God missed the Messiah. It's necessary for us to recognize that we need God with us. It's an amazing thing that God has done for us to move into our lives, to change us from the inside. And there may be some people here this morning who have never, ever responded to the invitation to be saved, to the invitation of salvation, to the invitation, the whole reason, the whole purpose that Christmas exists is that people who are far from God, people who are far from the image of God might be brought into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through forgiveness of sins. All the things that people are chasing after all the things that people are trying to fill their lives with, the great needs that people have are all summarized in this one great need to be liberated from our sins that we might please living, the living God. Because there, to know that your life brings pleasure to God completely fulfills all the other so-called needs that you might have. That invitation is open. That's what Christmas is about. Won't you absolutely at this time of year welcome that gift of salvation? Our Father and our God, we thank you for the, the uh, amazing and lavish grace of Christmas. Lord, there isn't a thing about us that deserves the least of what you have done but Father, you have sent your Son, very God, to come here, live among us, give his life for us, that we might have our sins forgiven, that we might have the very core issue need of our lives taken care of. God, I just pray this morning that there'd be no one in this room who would miss that opportunity, miss that invitation, miss that gift of salvation. Thank you for the the lives that you have saved in this room. Thank you for the lives you've saved recently in this room. Thank you that you're a saving God. Oh, Father, we thank you for your love for us, demonstrated so powerfully throughout Christmas, the life of Christ among us, his death, his burial, his resurrection on our behalf, our substitute for us. We thank you for all of that. We praise you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. All of us need more than we know. And only God can deliver on that. So won't you welcome him? Won't you welcome the Christ of Christmas to be your Savior and your Lord and your Master? If you've never done that, pastors will be here at the front of the church. We'd love to show you from God's Word how you could respond to the invitation of salvation. You can do that right where you are. Just invite Christ to forgive you of your sins. Come into your life and change you. Become Lord of your life. That's why he came. That's why he left the splendor of heaven to come and live among us. 
that he might be Emmanuel, God with us, God in us. That's a message to rejoice in at Christmas. Our Father and our God, we thank you today for this amazing message, this amazing love that we are celebrating. I pray, Father, that it might uh, awaken our hearts all over again to the precious truths of God's word and what you've done for us and our great love for you because of your immense and lavish love for us. Oh, God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.